You know what? In, in today's age, you have to have no issues with living your truth. So we're going to give you the space to do that. All right. Okay. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. Welcome to the Pre-Internet Friends Podcast. This is a conversation shaped by being savvy enough to deal with the world today, but old enough to remember the world before the internet. This podcast is a his and hers take on the world as it is, not as it should be. I am your host, the on time, the mostly right, the sometimes less right, Mr. J. Nicholas. This is my co-host. Uh, I forget your, uh, your adjectives. Wow. Ms. Okay. Miss Nicole Shanique. <laughs> All right. The, okay. The fabulous, the, the the chocolate ebony, the goddess, the makeup queen, the the crypto uh, conqueror. Go ahead. Thank talk you. your shit. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. We here. Episode eight of the Prince and their Friends podcast. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I want to welcome our first time listeners, uh, and for the long time listeners, thanks for coming back. So, how have you been, ma'am? I've been pretty good. How about you? Listen, I I am um, I am managing. I'm going through the highs and lows of quarantine, uh, of fatherhood, <laughs> of being a full-time employee in the midst of a pandemic. Like all of the highs and lows that you can associate with those things, I feel like I've experienced. This is a roller coaster, but uh, I'm here for the long haul. Saying the roller coaster is the perfect, um, you know, the, the the perfect uh analogy for this, um, because lots of highs, lots of lows. I'm really taking it day by day, like I'm in AA or something. It's just okay. Listen, no one's perfect. We're all working towards it, one day at a time. So, with this being said, where would you like to begin, ma'am? Well, you mentioned quarantine and. Mm-hmm. Those of us in the tri-state are definitely still on lockdown. Um, not like some of our brethren in uh, some of the southern states, but, you know, we'll leave that for another time. But I wanted to talk about a post that I saw on Facebook. I believe I sent you this post. It was about a former classmate of ours. Well, it was written by a former classmate of ours. And basically, he was calling the pandemic a, ho- a hoax. And he was saying that, like, Anything man, anything that just is naturally occurring can be naturally fought and doesn't require a vaccine. And he has a lot of, I guess, his parishioners or I don't know what the term for these people would be, but, you know, he's involved in (laughs) he's involved in the church. And I just feel like this is so fucking irresponsible. Like you're supposedly ministering to people. So people are going to hold you in a certain you know, at a certain position because of that. And then this is the type of bullshit you spreading to our people, especially knowing that black people are dying at the highest rate, knowing that black people have the most pre-existing conditions. Black people are way more likely to be, uh, you know, unemployed, underemployed, not have proper health care. And this is the type of shit you doing. Like this is, this is why a lot of people do not fuck with church because it be the church niggas be the most irresponsible ones. Like I'm getting, you know what? Let's go to the next topic because I'm getting tight just thinking about this nigga, and I don't like it. <laughs> well, I just want to say, just for for full uh, accuracy, that I, I'm looking at the exact quote, and just so the, pe- the listeners know exactly what you're responding to. The quote is: "Any virus that's natural can be cured by nature, 
any virus that needs a vaccination to be cured was made in a lab. Stop listening to these medical false prophets out here. So that that is the quote in its entirety. So the, right. The so that- so the false false prophet is telling us to not listen to the medical professionals about a medical issue. This is my problem with these people. Uh, am no, I bugging? I, 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 is it just me? Is it just me? If it's just me, let me know. But like, I felt like that was so irresponsible, especially because I've seen how much engagement that person gets on their Facebook from the people in his church. So for you to be spreading this type of shit, I think it's completely irresponsible. And then there was people on there agreeing with that or, or acting like he enlightened them or some shit. Like people's lives are literally on the line. And this is the type of shit you're doing with your voice. That shit is irresponsible. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, sometimes just just having just having a vaccination would, would definitely make the difference. No, um, and but the thing is, he I don't know if you read any of the comments, but he double doubled no. down on it. And, and because somebody was like there were a couple people, I guess, from the church body who were kind of disagreeing with him, which was good, I think. Um, and somebody was like, well, there's you know, vaccinations for smallpox and measles and, you know, all of this other type of stuff. Like, so all it, is all of that a hoax? And then he basically tried to run with that, that that's a hoax too. And it's just like, yo, if you're going to be one of those kind of people, that's fine. But now that you're putting yourself in a position like that, when you by default have people listening to you and this is the type of shit you spread in, like, I hope he actually believes this and he's not just a con man. But as far as I'm mm. concerned, like it doesn't even matter at this point, but it is just really disgusting that there are people out here misleading people who are already vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, well, you know what? if I'm going to be honest, I personally, I'm a bit uh, conflicted on this, right? Not, not this particular quote. No, I think he's bugging, but just generally speaking, I don't really, I don't advocate for all vac- vaccinations, like the the flu vaccination. I generally right. don't get it. You know, right. what I mean that, that that's not to say that I don't believe in vaccinations or the the science behind allowing your body to be exposed to the, a dead virus and develop antibodies. That's that's you know I, I think that that's sound. I just don't always uh, believe that um, it's wise to trust some of the some of the vaccinations that are being developed and uh injected into us and i think that's you know historically speaking within my my rights as a black man in this country right i'm not disagreeing with that and i do think that it's one thing to say that you know maybe we should be having a conversation about not necessarily being an anti-vaxxer but i do think the i found the conversations to be interesting where they were saying okay well maybe space them out some more. Okay, I can understand that. Or saying like, do you really need a vaccination against the chicken pox? Because think about it, like when we was coming up, everybody just got the chicken pox. I noticed that I hadn't heard about kids getting the chicken pox recently, but I also thought like, oh, well maybe I just, like, I don't know anybody. Like I'm I'm not in contact with people who have little kids, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, I don't have any nieces or nephews or anything like that. So I was just like, oh, well maybe they're getting it. And I just didn't no, but now it's like, oh no, no, there's a vaccination that I don't know if we necessarily need because we all got it and we were fine. But just to talk about something as this deadly as Corona and saying that it's fake because I commented and I was like, are you saying that the, the whole pandemic is a hoax? And he was basically like, yeah, 
Like that's irresponsible. <laughs> like, like, see, I'm getting tight. I'm getting tight all over again. Well, you know, this is something that I've spoken about in in an, uh, a number of episodes, and we speak about it from a variety of angles. This this is not just a health crisis. This is a crisis on a global scale because of our interdependency upon one another uh, internationally. And the fact that this is affecting so many aspects of society. So even if if a person who's at the head of a church dis, disputed the the health impact, regardless of the the data that suggests however many thousands of people have died, and I think at this point in America the number was as high as I believe seventy five thousand Americans have died from coronavirus or yeah. COVID nineteen related deaths. But even if you say that you don't believe that data, you do understand the causation between closing down the job and how that's affecting uh, the economy. Uh, if you know, Even if it's not on a national level, I would imagine on the local level. Right. So, you know, there, there does need to be some care taken in how we, we wrestle with the, the, these types of issues. You know what I mean? If you're at the head of something, an organization, a church, you, you do need to be uh, held accountable for what you're saying and what you're implying. Yes. Um, Speaking of people speaking, who need to, to be, yes, <laughs> yes, speaking we're of people same who need to be held accountable. Listen, New York City is, I believe, in many ways, the capital of the world, right? And that is the bias from being in Brooklyn, being from Brooklyn. Um, but I feel like New York City is the capital of the world. We're at the forefront of so many different industries, from business to fashion to uh, food and culture. Um, but one of the things that in this post 9-11 world that I have uh, a particular sensitivity to this post uh, Black Lives Matter uh, era that we're in is just the inconsistency in policing. And in New York City, uh, this has been magnified because of, well, first, with, I guess, the legalization of marijuana, right? And that's supposedly being decriminalized. And now this... Inf- enforcing of a suggested social distance. So there is no social distance law, right? Congress has, has not passed any any laws saying that it's illegal uh, to be less than six feet from one another. It is suggested. What we have in New York City is the interpretation of the NYPD of this in a very inconsistent manner. So we have what's going on in Brownsville, where I'm from originally, and LES, the Lower East Side, where I've worked for many years, uh, versus what's happening in, say, uh, a Williamsburg and West Forth. So do you want, how do you want to juxtapose those two? I think the issue that I have is I didn't think that the cops were really going to be down in Domino Park or um, at, what is it, Washington Square Park, you know, arresting white people or breaking up gatherings of white people, right? Like the NYPD just doesn't do that. We've seen them not break up the um, funeral for the rabbi and that was thousands of people, right? So I think the, the, the thing that got me most riled up recently was the video of that cop, what is his name, Francisco, whatever, who mm-hmm. legit jumped on that dude's neck and and now I'm hearing that the dude actually has like some serious injuries related to that. And I guess the the thing that I'm that really burns my biscuit, it seems like 
the, a lot of the cops who, who are from the same communities that we're from be the worst ones. Because if you watch that video, he's walking up to the dude like on some street shit, like, yo, why you flexing floor? Why you flexing yeah. floor? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and the thing is, it's like, we've always multiple times talk, talked about accountability on here. Where are the other cops to hold this guy accountable? Because if you watch that video, he says, why you flexing for? Start swinging on the dude who's there in slippers. And then the other cops jump on the dude. And it's like, yo, nobody, like, like nobody's going to tell this dude, like, yo, you're wildin'. It takes the video to go viral. And then now we're hearing that that same officer um, has had multiple other complaints against him. And the city has um, had to pay out money uh, for lawsuits on this yeah, dude. somewhere in the ballpark of $200,000. Right. So it's and, just kind of like, mm -hmm. like, it's, like, I think I don't even know how I feel about this because I, I understand. And the thing is, I knew that they was letting anybody be cops when one of my exes became a cop, because I was like, you wasn't smart at anything in your whole life ever. And now all of a sudden you a cop. And, and he was like, I thought he was like a regular NYPD cop. And he said, no, that he's a cop like somewhere on Long Island. And I was just like, that must mean that the bar is even lower out there. And that's the scary part. <laughs> I mean, that's not what that necessarily means, but I hear you. <laughs> no, if they um, let him in, the bar is low. Trust me. Oh. Well, many people have referenced there needs to be a more thorough psych exam evaluation process for a lot of trainees and cadets but um you know, you know what it, i think what's that i think that if we made being a cop like a, a really good competitive job that a lot of that bullshit would not be happening because i think we would get some better quality people because what are the requirements to be a cop now like like besides, um, besides passing the physical exam do you need no i think you need to have uh 60 credits of college which i guess is equivalent to an associate's degree okay or you see, might need now, a, might need a, a bachelor's uh -huh. if they made the start if they made the starting salary seventy five thousand dollars in master's degree i think that would probably limit some of the issues that we're seeing because see, I, I think i think you might be falsely equating education with competency no no i'm saying if you put like the physical stuff of course like physically you just have to be able to do things but i'm saying if you made these jobs more competitive i think you would get a better group of people not a perfect group of people but a better group of people well i don't know that that's uh that that's interesting because I will send you the the article. Um, they took one of the things that they talked about was um, I forget which country it was a European country, um, and to be a cop over there, it's like it's three years of training. They start at a really high salary, you know, all of this like, and it's and it's way 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 more rigorous than what we have here. And they also have like less um, you know, officer you know involved incidents and all that. Granted, they also don't have black people, but I do think that there is a, a correlation um, between what it takes, you know, to, you know, the barriers of entry. When you lower the barrier to entry, you're going to let in a lot of these clowns. <laughs> See, I'm going to just say that competitive is relative. You know, there was a point where to be a cop, you had to be over, <laughs> over six feet. How competitive do you have to be to get an associate's degree? 
Well, again, we, we, I'm just saying, like, is that hard to get? About, you're talking about the educational component. But is that hard to get? Like, like I didn't realize that, that competitive people got associate's degrees. Oh, boy. I'm saying oh, I'm that. Oh, I'm sorry. Competitive... Oh, they're they're going to cancel me now, too? Okay. No, no, no. Listen to what I'm saying, that there are many factors when you mm-hmm. start talking about or qualifiers, when you, we describe what it means to be mm-hmm. competitive, there was a point when you had to be over a certain height to become a police officer. They did yeah. away with that. There was a, a there was a point where, uh, you know, it's just like every measuring stick that you 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 had, it, it got a, adjusted and adjusted to what it is now. You know, right. it wasn't down. always a, a, a college component. Right, you, you wanted to be more inclusive. Part of that is so that women could could get in as well uh, you know progress comes sometimes at a price and this is something that uh you know as a black black woman you should be mindful of i don't i'm not i'm not mindful to any low bars oh boy okay well shout out to to the cops that i know that that are good uh we, we need you to hold these guys accountable that's though. right all 100 of you guys who are being quiet when this kind of shit right. happens Right. I haven't, but that's what I'm saying. We haven't seen a statement, and and the thing that gets me upset because at least right in New York here they have the the Black Officers Union or whatever, or the Latino Officers Union, uh, you know, or whatever they call that group. They don't even come out and speak about shit like this because, and the thing that gets me really worked up is like that cop Francisco, whatever his name is, if he was to take that badge and that gun off. Somebody could do that to him because he'd look no different than anybody else in LES. So for him to be, you know, using his proximity to, you know, the the racist white supremacist arm of the state in that manner against people who, you know, would be in the same situation as him is disgusting. So fuck him. And what I think and when I, I tell people this all the time, I think that we need all the rich niggas. So Diddy. Um, Jay-Z, Oprah, LeBron, Michael Jordan, Spike Lee, all of them to get together and to do, I want to see a black, um, like a political action group or special interest group, whatever, you know, you call it, because I would like to see a law that says, if you're involved in these type of lawsuits, your pension is on the line. If that law was there, do you think that these niggas would be out here running around swinging on people the way they do? Cause that's the only reason why people become cops because it's like, Oh, it's like, Oh, I can have a pension by the time I'm, you know, 44 or whatever. If they knew that shit was on the line, they wouldn't be doing half of this shit. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying as a, as a private citizen and it comes back to accountability. Um, also, but looking at what you're saying from the eyes of a union member, uh, I think that would be a terrible thing to agree to objectively speaking uh for for the union represent represent representatives of the uh in the pba they they wouldn't go for that but they don't go for anything yeah they're 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 a very strong union and that's that's part of the the issue you know uh even with the cops um not you know as they're fuck fucking up you know black people in 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 the hoods and turning an eye to everyone else seemingly you know, the mayor was called anti-Semitic for, for saying that he wants the Jewish people to be policed the same as everyone else. You know, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. We are the only group that doesn't have a an arm behind us to enforce all the unreasonable shit that we want. 
That's we, what we, we need. Collect, we, we need collective unity, some collective bargaining That's power. But I we're not going. But we're not going to get people. that with the rich people, like Michael Jordan. Now, episode six of the Last Dance documentary, which everyone right. should be watching. They just circled the block about his uh, reluctance to uh, endorse the candidate uh, Gantz when he was running for office in North Carolina. And Jordan, what he said, you know, in jest, but on a record, uh, Republicans buy sneakers too, you know, buy Nikes too. So you don't look to Michael for social justice. That's not his. Right. That's not Maybe his not bad. Michael, but what I'm saying is like Diddy, Jay-Z, LeBron, they all seem to be pretty friendly with each other. They like like need- like why doesn't why doesn't Jay Z help put together a group similar to whatever the group that Mike Bloomberg has that be getting all his shit enacted all across all across the country and I'm not necessarily saying I, a Jay Z I'm saying somebody who got Jay Z type money. Because, well, I, I think objectively speaking, if you have Jay Z type money, you have Jay Z type itineraries, right? You know, people the average millionaire has seven different streams of income. Uh, we, you know, you got to imagine that people just have other things that they're passionate about. You know, I've, I've gotten to a place in my life where I don't take it personally when, when someone doesn't support something that I'm doing. Um, and I'm not looking for someone to throw me a lifeline. You know, this is one of those things where you have to see the, the landscape and be mentally tough enough to say, I'm going to pull myself out of this. And if enough of us everyday people say, I'm going to be my brother's keeper then we can collectively start to hold not public figures, but, you know, public servants accountable. And that's where it starts. Uh, speaking of public figures being held accountable. Oh God. Takashi 69 is home from jail. Um, he has completed his sentence and is home on house arrest. And we're, we're going to discuss the music business. Um, and before we do that, I just want to just disrupt the the regular flow just to take a second, just to acknowledge um, the passing and to say a, a RIP to Mr. Andre Harrell. Yes. Who is the, the pioneer of, of ultimately of Bad Boys, but, you know, the pioneer of Uptown Records, you know, signing many of the original Bad Boy artists, uh, recently signing, you know, Puff. Um, also, a, a special rest in peace to Little Richard who also mm-hmm. passed at the age of 87. And of course, he's been on my mind as well, uh, Ahmad Arbery, whose you know, story has taken national news. So, you know, just speak, uh, speaking about the music business, it did just bring me full circle. I didn't want to wait till the end of the, the episode to, to acknowledge uh, Andre Harrell and Little Richard. But we're here discussing Takashi 69 So the Rainbow Head Troll is home from prison after having his sentence cut significantly shorter for uh, participating with the state and turning state property, as being Siegel would describe it, and uh, providing the state with uh, material evidence against his co-defendants. The King of New York is home, as he would phrase it, as he did phrase it. He went on Instagram Live on Friday. He scheduled this from Tuesday. On Instagram Live, he had uh, a little over two million people yep. in there. And I think he was uh, also streaming at the same time on YouTube Live. He broke a record for streams there. I believe he, he was in the same ballpark, somewhere close to two million on YouTube as well. What are your thoughts on Takashi and his new, uh, his new music? 
Bay seems to boast about being uh, what many would describe as a snitch. I'm just baffled by this. I hope that, you know, naturally I don't want anything to happen to anybody, but I don't like the precedent that this is setting. There are a lot of people, you know, who follow these public figures blindly. Um, You know, unfortunately, like social media is now just another part of our actual reality, especially now for the the kids who are like teenagers now, you know, they've known this their whole lives. And I I don't like this thing that that Takashi is doing, right? Forget about the fact that he's an embarrassment to Bushwick and, and all of that, right? Like he at the end of his song, at the end of his uh, song, the last line says, How I rat and still came home to a bag. And I'm concerned because we know now the barrier to entry talking about again another game that has lowered the barriers to entry rap you know and i don't want any young teenage to to see him and the fact that he's okay for now to an extent and think that they can do this type of thing too because we know the consequences of some of these things and and i to be quite honest I want to know what the hell Takashi's um, talking about, too, because I don't know a lot about gang culture, but I know that gangs usually have more than three people. Right. So he told <laughs> on. Right. So it was him. It was shoddy and, and, and another person he told on. Right. So mm-hmm. in the video, because I, I saw the video, he has on an ankle bracelet, which means he's on house arrest or whatever. Right. That's not going to be on there forever. Like at a certain point, he's going to be able to walk around free and and go where he wants and all of that. Like, does he not fear for his safety? Like, like are are there no people who are out here in Treyway or whatever they're calling it now who are who would be upset that he has told on Shadi and, and the other people and who are going to want to do harm to him? Like, I just don't understand it. Like. Like and I just really don't want any of these other kids to see like oh you you can go and and fake play around with criminals so you can get some like fake street cred for your music and then when shit get thick you can come out and snitch on everybody and then you're just gonna go live happily ever after because we know that this Takashi situation is one in a million usually they end up in jail forever dead somebody attempting to kill them again broke. You know, it's just Takashi seems to have gotten away for now. Like, I just don't, I, I really don't want anybody to think that that's the blueprint of what people should be doing. Well, this isn't Takashi's blueprint. This is Malibu Most Wanted on on steroids. Um, when you really look at it, I think the, the danger, I mean, I, I, I guess it makes sense to say it could be emulated, but this was such... This was such a, a a perfect storm, you know, for all of the all of the toxic and, and dangerous uh, decision making that Takashi has engaged in. He has proven himself to be uh, a charismatic young man that is has been able to galvanize support from people. People are drawn to him, and I don't I don't think that that's easily you know something that could be reproduced. And there, there are a lot of things that that, that went into Takashi's ascension, and so much of it was tied to him being, you know, a, a stamp, a, a getting a stamp from the streets because of his uh, affiliation with with those nine trade blood members. And I, I think watching how that played out is going to be a 
a warning sign to, to people who are in the streets about allowing somebody to, to use them as a vehicle for their brand. You know what I mean? Because once once a, a star ascends into the, the, the bright light of the public, uh, usually the people who are in the background, they come into the foreground as well, even if it's against their, their, their wishes. You know, so success comes with a price as well, you know, and um, you can end up becoming a prisoner to it. Uh, literally and, uh, and figuratively. Um, I think the other part of this Takashi situation that's been very odd to me is how far people are willing to go to, I guess, articulate, you know, why he was right and what he did and diminish uh, the character of people who are pointing out you know, that what he did was wrong and that he shouldn't be supported going forward. So let I wanted to get you to weigh in on this before I did, but with you being a lawyer, what is your, your legal definition of snitching? I mean, there's no statute written called the snitch statute, right? So, <laughs> you know, so me being a lawyer is kind of irrelevant here. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Because because at the end of the day, I think like a lot of the slang terms we use is just whatever we mean it, whatever we want it to mean. Right. So does that mean that you're telling on somebody who you did a criminal act with? Are you just telling something that you witnessed? Are you you know what I mean? Like those are all things that people call snitching. I think the most common use of the term is you're telling on someone you know, um, and you're testifying. Right. Well, okay. So I saw someone liking what Meek Mills did to what Takashi did. And Meek Mills, they, they, they argued or asserted was he was a, he was a snitch because he told on the judge who was attempting to give him a harsher sentence. Right. Um, <laughs> Right. So, that, that, so that's why I said I don't know, like, like what the actual definition is because well, you, no, do have some, yeah. you do have some snitching purists, if you will. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like, uh -huh. um, you do. Um, I don't know if you remember this happened. Maybe I don't know. It might even have been ten years ago now, where the the lady was walking down the street with her baby and and her man and there was a shooting and the baby got killed and the father didn't show up to court um and then people were saying it's because he knows who did it and everybody was like but still like your baby got killed why wouldn't you go to court against the killer and then you know some street dudes feel like no going to court and participating in the justice system is just not a thing that we do even to that extent where your infant son is gunned down. So like okay. some people, some people take it that far is what I'm saying. Right. Right. No. And listen, listen, growing up in Brownsville, this is a conversation that I've had more times than I can count. Um, particularly as a, as a younger person, as a teenager. So this is my understanding of snitching. This is the rules that I'm governed by to this day. That there, there, there is a two-layered system here. There's a two-tier existence. And you have what, what I'm going to call people who are in the street life. Right. And 
you, you're going to have what I will call civilians. Okay. Yes. It is, it is, it's two, there are two sets of standards. Of course. Two sets of codes that people are going to live by and, and standards that they're going to be held to. You, you, you cannot expect a person who is a, a civilian. Right. You can't hold them to a street standard. Of course. And, and at the same time, conversely, you wouldn't hold a person who is asserting that they abide by street standards to engage in the execution of typical civic duties. Right. 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 So when you, when you are a civilian and you witness a crime or you are the victim of a crime, informing law enforcement of a crime is you performing your civic duty. You have, you actually, as a member of a society, have a, a obligation and a responsibility to inform law enforcement to secure the, the greater good of the society. That That's what civic duty entails, right? That cannot be interpreted as snitching if you are a civilian. You have not uh, implicitly or explicitly said, I'm going to live by, by the gun and die by the gun. I'm going to be in a, sh-. like, that's not your life. You're a hard, right. you know, you could be a, a hardworking nine to five person who got caught up in, in a situation. You were the victim of a, a, a robbery or a rape. And now because you live in a hood, you can't tell on the person who, who, who did it. You know what I mean? Like it, it just, it, it's, it's a unrealistic standard to try to move by. Um, so my definition of snitching is exclusively when someone is engaging in a criminal lifestyle, criminal activity, and they get jammed up and they reveal information or, you know, they tell on the people who they're engaging in that criminal activity with. What Takashi 69 did is the embodiment of snitching. That oh, is the embodiment of it. Oh, I I definitely agree. And I think the reason why I said I hope that what he did does not become a precedent is, you know, and I think Nipsey, you know, God bless the dead, has spoken about this related to something that Cardi B, you know, had posted. It's like either you're a street person or you are not. Right. And unfortunately, because a lot of this street shit has gone mainstream, people forget that there are people who are just street people and not people who are pretending to be street so they can, you know, make money or, or become an artist. Right. And and the point that he made about um, Cardi making a, a gang reference was like, yo, there are people who are willing to die for this, you know, and you're playing with it on Instagram. And, right. and, and and to his point that he made, he's like, you know, that's really putting people in danger. And, and the point that he was making about her, he's like, yo, you're on a certain level now. So you're so you got security. So you're going to be putting this, this street shit online, knowing that even if you're not involved in it, knowing that there are other people involved in this and you're putting, you know, people's safety at risk. And the same thing with Sakashi, because if you listen to that song, he came out doing the, the same exact music like. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember yeah. like, like, like it was like I'm gonna catch him at the chicken spot. It was like in Dubai, you can't even go to the damn chicken spot with your damn house arrest bracelet on. So what are you even talking yeah. about? Like it was like he came out doing the exact same music as if we was all asleep for the last two years. I don't get it. Right. Like, and, and and just that quickly, uh, a young lady put up a, a video of him. He was next door to her. He was in Long Island, in the Hamptons. So see? his location <laughs> is already public knowledge. You know, like. Uh, 
the world is small now, man. <laughs> the world that's, is small. That's I the thing that that was that when I heard the last line of that song, that's the thing that actually confused me because I was like, there's really only two places he could be. That's New York or LA, right? And I was like, so you mean to tell me that the whole streets is going to be okay with, with what you did? You know, and for somebody who said that he was friends with Triple X and we know how Triple X came to an end, right? So, right. like, it's just... Triple, Triple X Tentacion was killed while motorcycle shopping in Miami for people who don't know. But right, yes, and, uh, and he used to put out that mm-hmm. same kind of energy of like, oh, if y'all niggas don't come find me, you're a pussy. And, and you said you're going to kill me, so come do it. And, did it. and then what happened? One day somebody did it and he lost his life at what? 19, 20 years old, you know, and Takashi, according to him, was was actually friends with him. So you would think that he would have learned something from, again, losing somebody, you know, to that type of violence and then even going through what he went through. Like, that was the thing that, like, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It was like, yo, you're going to go down as one of the famous snitches of all time. And you had to be, and you know they had to have him in protective custody because you can't let him be out, you know, with the other inmates and stuff. So it's like you you didn't learn anything when you was in solitary all of those months that, that you just came right back out on the same bullshit. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that was actually a conversation I had earlier today where it's just like he's not even making, you know, different types of music. It's the same you know, what they would refer to as drill music. And um, I just don't, I don't know how, like his, his fan base isn't, isn't, you know, Grown affected people. by this because his, his fan base is middle America is, is, is white America. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, no. And, and the kids, the kids, yeah. I, the, this the isn't a music string. podcast, but you know, I didn't want to do a, such a deep dive on it, but they, okay. they're really, they're really no. I mean, we're here now, you know. Um, they're really that like that's a whole conversation in itself, you know. How he is not really reflective of hip hop culture or rap culture, even. You know what I mean? He's a caricature, but um, you know, but we don't have to. We don't have to really delve into that. I mean, at this but point. by design, I read the court papers. Like yeah. everything about him yeah. was. They found him in a in a working in a Spanish restaurant in Bushwick, and it was just like they were like, oh, he's cool and then they just ran with it like he's really no different than chris than than jermaine dupree than jermaine dupree finding the dudes who became crisscross in the mall like it's the same thing it's just a production yeah takashi is the the 2020 version of riffraff oh shit okay (laughs) all right speaking of online riffraff uh did you get a chance to see the, the the twitter uh bureau of investigation go way over the line or what i think is over the line Yes, I'm assuming you're referring to the video that may have gone viral of the young lady who was doing pole dancing with her. I guess she would be like a toddler. Yeah. um, You know, a small daughter, uh, you know, encouraging her to climb the top of the pole. And then she went on with her and they spun around together and, you know, had a little mother daughter moment. So when you say they went too far, uh, again, I'm assuming you're referring to the Twitter Bureau of Investigations, TBI, calling CPS on this woman. Yes. You had an issue with that. You don't? 
<laughs> no, no, I definitely do. But this is my first time talking to you about it. So I always knew what oh. your position was. Oh, because I was about to get hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's nuts. That's completely nuts. Uh, but what, what, what exactly was your issue with it? I guess I just didn't understand. Like, well, one, I will say, I think had the the mother just had on regular like workout clothes, maybe it wouldn't have gone as out of hand as as it went. Um, because it did look a little bit wild for her to be in like a thong upside down with her baby. Like that just like to me, that's just not a normal thing that a, a mother and daughter would be doing, at least to my knowledge. Um, but but all of that aside, um, I think it's weird the way people decide what is and is not acceptable. Because when J-Lo slid her ass up that pole at the Super Bowl, everybody was all good with it. But this lady having fun in her living room with her baby. um that bothered people so much that they tried to get the lady's baby taken away on like what charge like your mother being a being you know a sex worker essentially is not by default a problem first off you don't know if this woman is a sex worker well no Uh, is she not a sex worker i mean stripping is sex work you i I don't even know that she's a stripper Where, where did you get that from i mean like if you have a pole in your li- if you have a pole in no. your living room and you're in a and you're in a thong, like I just didn't know that that was something that people who were or maybe I mean she could very well be a, a pole dancing instructor at Equinox who's laid off right now. Right, like it, but it's so much. She didn't have assertion. on. She didn't have on her Lululemons like the Equinox girls do. She had on a stripper Listen. outfit. That's why I was just using the context clues. <laughs> why this is problematic? It, it's I'm making several. Uh, assumptions based on how this played out. So I'm assuming that wh- whoever reported her to CPS, I'm assuming that that's a woman. That's number one, right? And number two, I'm also assuming that this is the hypocrisy of women having their bodies policed. But it's, it's hypocritical because I, I do feel like a woman would do that to another woman. I don't feel like a heterosexual man would do that to a woman. <laughs> that's uh, That's just... Not something I, I'd be able to align myself with that that thinking. Um, then the other part of it, which makes it very inconsistent, is just the societal response to it. So and on one hand, you have this young lady who is whipping it around the pole and just encouraging her daughter to, to climb it, which if you've ever climbed a, a pole in your life, even if it's just to stand up when you're getting up off of, off of uh, your butt on the subway seat, that is a workout. All right. Um, the core strength it takes to be a pole dancer or to teach a pole class or to be a stripper, that shit is a workout. Like it's a core engagement. So anybody who's strong enough to climb a pole, look, my hat's off to you. Um, but so I'm just saying at the same time, this is taking place. Ellen, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, who has taken her the Ellen show to YouTube and doing Ellen tube, she highlighted <laughs> a, a young lady. Who was who was hitting the pole with her daughter, uh, her toddler daughter? That she, I think she may have been breastfeeding on the damn pole. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and this this chick, she's she just started a, a OnlyFans page. You know what I mean? So it's like there there is a super inconsistent standard when it comes to 
women's bodies and how they express them themselves. And I think that that standard is is ill received typically by other women. And, and I'll leave that there. Now, I couldn't tell the race or ethnicity of the young lady in the video from Twitter, but people were saying that she was not white. No, she didn't appear to be a Caucasian woman. So Mm -hmm. what people were basically saying was that, you know, when white women do things with their kids, it's always all good. But as soon as a non-black, a non-white woman does it, then it's a problem. Um, and I think that this might have something to do with it too. Um, and then there were people who put some pictures side by side of like a black mother and her daughter doing a standing split and then a white mother and her daughter doing a standing, a standing split. And it's like, you look at the comments on one, you know, it's like, oh, this is so ghetto. What are you teaching her? Da, 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 da. But then you look on the other one, it's like, oh, wow, this is so cute. You know what I mean? Like. And, and and I guess that that is the hard part, because aside from women's bodies being policed, it's definitely black women and um, Latino women, especially. Yeah, it's a thing. It is definitely a thing. And this is the byproduct of living in a, a white supremacist uh, country. But I have you know, a question. That, mm-hmm. So, like... I guess I want to know more about the person who called because like, so you find whatever city this person is in and then what do you call and say, I think the baby's in danger. Her mother's a stripper. Like, I just want to know the logistics on this. Like, like, like you, you, you would, you would probably make a claim of child endangerment due uh, to stripper call based on, you would say, uh, abuse and, you know, some kind of, sex abuse you know i think that would yes. be the, the the assertion because what you what you're doing to fuel that to fuel that 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 narrative is sexualizing the act right her wearing a thong doesn't help uh you know but yeah you're sexualizing that entire experience and then ultimately sexualizing the child's actions but in, in honesty if we're looking at it you know, objectively, what did the little girl do? She she climbed the pole as her mother encouraged her. What's the difference between that and her being at a park climbing a jungle gym? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's really, the, this is an adult reaction to something that you could very well, you know, if you made an effort to see through the eyes of a child, it, it was really harmless in the grand scheme of things, you know? Right. But, I, I, I've been a little girl. Like, you just naturally want to do what your mother does. Yes. Yes. And fathers everywhere, you know, Chris Rock told us we only have one job. Oh, God. Keep your daughters off off the pole. So, you know, it's just we have different functions in life. That's all. It's by design. It's by design. Uh, Speaking of of different functions, recently uh, on Love and Hip Hop, there was some discussion about open relationships. Now, can you uh, bring me up to speed with that? Okay. So on the show, there's this guy who he is dating this young lady. I won't bore you with the details, but according to the two of them, they are in an open relationship. And um, the guy said that he is talking to other people and the girl did as well. 
the conversation on Twitter, and this is what I wanted to get your take on, was that people on Twitter were basically, and it was, to your point, it was women basically saying that there's no way that this girl could actually be okay with this situation. And she's just <laughs> lying to herself. <laughs> like, okay. like, I, like it was it was more than what like it was a whole thing it was just like oh open relationship these young girls are so lost did it and and this actual topic it, it reminds me you know we always talk about cryptocurrency did you see that the um the price was uh falling before we got on the line but anyway um uh the guy who wrote bitcoin in black america basically said that him and this his lady i don't know if they're married um, but he was saying that they're in a, I guess, a long distance situation right now. And she basically says something to the effect of like, just don't embarrass me. And uh-huh. then, then again, to your point, a lot of women was like, well, she must be ugly. There's no way that anybody would be okay with this, blah, 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 blah. And I ha- like, as a woman, I have a real problem with people uh, taking that stance because it seems like is it seems like there's such a finite number of things that as a society we're okay with women wanting and this apparently is outside of that number of things oh boy <laughs> so because women <laughs> you guys are amazing creatures man but I think sociology has taught me one thing and that is human nature is unchanging uh i find a study of people to be fascinating i find this studying uh how men think to be fascinating but there's nothing uh, more fascinating than trying to understand how women think i'm not there yet but you guys are (laughs) you guys are incredible so when you say we're going to be in an open relationship or we're going to be uh we're going to practice polygamy. The, the, what, what's the association that comes with that? <laughs> you mean in, in my personal view? Yeah, your, your personal view as a woman. Well, see, I think that that's the problem. I think a lot of I think a lot of times we conflate like let's say polyamory or non-monogamous mm-hmm. relationships with like polygamy. Because in polygamy, you only usually see the man with multiple women. You never see a woman with multiple husbands. Um, But I do think in terms of polyamory, like I think that there are women who could be polyamorous. Um, And I just kind of hate that it's actually a lot of women who perpetuate that kind of thinking of like, oh, well, she's so screwed up in the head because... um, she's quote allowing him to do this but she clearly said well i'm dealing with other people too so it didn't seem like she didn't have the agency you know she was like hey this is a situation that works for me so it's like well why can't we take this girl's um word that this is what she wants like like why do we automatically have to assume that there's something wrong with her because she wants something that's not in the traditional what i'm really getting to is that false association of Polygamy being something that is beneficial just to men, right? Polygamy is just taking on multiple partners. But the fact is, polyandry relationships uh, are far more common historically than we give credit to. 
where right. a, a woman is taking on multiple husbands, multiple husbands. That that's historically speaking, that that was quite common. And even uh, in today, twenty twenty, that's a common thing. Depending on where you look, uh, in in Alaska, more, you know, more notably, you would see women take on uh, multiple husbands. Where the husbands were nomadic and the women were were, were stationary. You know what right. I mean? Right. Um, it's it's really a, a cultural thing. And this is one of those those points when we start, we start speaking about the societal backlash where you see that there is a very blurred line between church and state. You know, um, I go back to the idea that this is a Judaic Christian society. Our laws, the laws anywhere are an extension of the moral formation of the people. So that's going to influence what is and isn't legal, which is why, you know, it's against the law to have more than one, you know, spouse, which is a silly thing to attempt to regulate if you really think about it. Like, who cares what goes on in the privacy of somebody's bedroom, which is the same reason it was against the law for, you know, same-sex people to be married. It, it's that line between the church and state blurs have, on social social issues. Mm-hmm. I have a hot take. Okay. I have a hot take. And now... I think that now we pointed out that a lot of times it's women who refuse to believe this. What I think is because this is a patriarch, like a patriarchal society and a capitalist society that it's actually, if you think about it in women's benefit to be against this, because I think a lot of this was projection because I think that a lot of women are saying, well, no, she can't be okay with that because if it's not in our interest for us to think that someone could be okay with that, because then you're thinking about, well, shit, what if my man try to run some shit like that on me and then I don't want it. So I think that, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if that was me and, and you know, my man was with it and then I could have a man at home and then a man outside of home, I would be with that. But that's just me. Um, you know what I mean? Because uh-uh, society tells you if you're a woman and you want to date more than one man that you're promiscuous or that you're uh, practicing in wh- whoredom, you know, that, yeah. that's just not, not acceptable. No, but I that, had a conversation. Okay, that's what, I'm saying. that's what I'm saying. I think, I think it, I think women are, I think women have the, the, women have the, the incentive to try to reinforce a lot of these things because we don't, because, it's like, oh, well, she can't be all right with that. Nobody's all right with that. When really what they're saying is I'm not all right with that. And I wouldn't want my man to be all right with that. Whereas like, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, situations that, like we said, are not conventional. You know what I mean? Um, and if you think about really if you're trying to be with somebody for a long haul, like shit happens like. You know, what about you hear about people in accidents, right? That, you know, they can no longer sexually function. Do you really expect somebody to stay, the, the person who didn't get the injury or the illness or whatever, do you really expect somebody to stay with you for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years and never have sex again? You, you know what I mean? Like, like, like yeah. that's not rational. But but for some reason, we think we think that it that it is. You know what I mean? Or even when you see, oh, such and such was having an affair while their their person was sick. And it's like, well, I mean, if you kind of think about it, the sick person probably wasn't fucking. Well, oh, man, that that's such a Pandora's box, you know, because then I think about the young lady, the fashion fashionista that had recently passed, uh, Beverly, 
Uh, gosh, I can't think of the last name. Okay, yeah, that was now that. Uh, no, I know the one you're talking about oh, from. Smith. Um, yeah, Bevy uh, Smith, uh, I believe, was her name. Smith, yeah, B Smith, B Smith, B Smith, right? And what ends up happening with her? She developed Alzheimer's and began losing her her herself, her true self, and her husband moved in his girlfriend, a younger white woman. That and, to me uh, was out of line. Right. Out of line. Because this so, is what I would say. Know. Like if it mm-hmm. this is what I this is how I would feel. Now, if he had the white girl around the corner like Wendy Williams' husband did, and didn't bring her in the lady house and wasn't doing press around it and didn't you know what I mean? Because I think I would rather you be sneaking on the weekend than doing no, some shit like man. that. Listen, no, all of this, everything that we're discussing for the last five minutes relating to this comes back to pride and ego you know people have too much uh too much pride and there is this idea that this wanting of something else or something to supplement or something to enhance means that i am somehow deficient or i am somehow inadequate or i am somehow not enough right It, it brings me back to the old african proverb if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together. People can understand this in principle. You can outline it in, in a thousand ways under the sun. But if you say, hey, listen, let's practice some com- com- community uh, approaches. Let's do some communal uh, bonding, some communal living or communal investing, then it, then you sound spooky. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, everybody's going to make a million dollars over the course of their lifetime. And you want to make that million dollars in 40 years or you want to make it in 10? You know, let, let's go together. And sometimes, you know, big love doesn't necessarily mean everybody's having a wild orgy, but it doesn't make sense for me to have a half a million dollar house and pay a, a five thousand dollar month mortgage, and for you to have one, or for us to get a a seven hundred thousand dollar house and split a, a six thousand dollar mortgage. You know what I mean? Like it's just sometimes yeah. it's group economic. I I think I I think c- coming from a woman's standpoint, I wonder how many women would have saved themselves some heartbreak if they actually opened their mind to certain situations, right? Because I I don't think that everybody is wired the same. Like, I think that there are some people who are fine with being completely monogamous. And I think there are some people who can never be monogamous. And I think most people probably fall, you know, somewhere in the middle. But I think because we are raised a certain way, that a lot of times men especially wind up trying to fit into certain boxes and then they get in trouble because of these things because uh do you do you know i'm mike hill on espn i know that name i can't visualize the so he is engaged to a lady who's on a reality tv show And basically, I guess he had written a book or done it. I think it was a book about his past relationships. And he's been married at least one time before. He has, I think, two or three like grown children. And basically in the book or whatever, he talks about how he's never been faithful to any woman he's been with. Right. And it's and it's. And it's and it's somebody like that. It's like, oh, you're probably just polyamorous because at his age. You know what I mean? Like, this is not some dude who's 21 where you're like, all right, well, you know, I'll check back in with you in 10 years. Like, this man is in his probably 50s, you know, and 
it's like, so why are you getting married to someone who's concerned about you cheating when you have a history of cheating? Like, to me, it would seem that that maybe him, especially in this situation, that he would say, okay, clearly I can't be with one woman. So maybe I need to just get a woman that's all right with me having outside relations from time to time. Because it seems like he's just setting this lady who's going to become the next wife up for failure. Because especially at the age that they, they're in, like I would not at 50 something years old marry somebody who has no history of being faithful if I if I wanted a man who was going to be faithful to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Mike Hill from, uh, I think he's on FS1. But that's a situation all of the all the time that takes place where people, I, I would say men probably aren't as in tune with what they want and some men some men are willing to say what the woman wants to hear some men are are willing to acquiesce to what a woman wants and some men uh just don't know what they want you know uh they are very i think that the smallest number is men who are well in tune with where they are what they're looking for and what they're willing to to uh bend on you know so this is what i believe this is what i want and this is what it is take it or leave it and i think that if you have to agree to things to terms begrudgingly then maybe this isn't for you like like michael jordan said you know if i'm doing something that inspires you great i'm going to continue to do it and if i'm doing something that you don't agree with then maybe i'm not the person to follow i might not be the person to love you know um i want to get into (laughs) <laughs> I want to get into this Tyra Banks thing. Yes. Uh, you know, what is, we are in 2020. If I wow out in 2011, is that, does that not go away next January when it's my birthday? Like, how does this work? I don't know. I was going to ask you. So now are you familiar with what's going on? Not exactly. I, I, see, I saw she was trending. Let, but, let me you know. You. you want me to catch you up? Yes, yes, just some context. <laughs> okay. So you know how recently and I think it's because we're all on house arrest that like a lot of old clips from things in the early 2000s have kind of been recirculating. Um yes. so I think it was either yesterday we're recording this on Saturday, so I think it was either Friday or Thursday an old clip of um, America's Next Top Model, you know, which Tyra Banks, that show might still be going on. I don't know, but it started in the early 2000s. um, And Tyra Banks, you know, it was her creation, her and Kenya Barris um, of of Black AF fame. Um, And, you know, it was a modeling competition. And one of the things that they would do is they would give the girls a makeover, you know, and a lot of times it would be very drastic because, you know, if you think about it now, knowing now what we know about reality TV, a lot of times they were just doing that for the shock factor to try to get a reaction out of these girls. So it would always be, you know, if you had long dark hair, it's going to be now you're going to have a short blonde pixie cut, you know, and if you have natural hair, we're going to give you, you know, inches down to your ass. Like it was just, they would do that. So one of the girls on there, um, she had a gap in her teeth and they sent her to the dentist to get the gap fixed, um, closed rather. Um, and she refused to let them fully close the gap. And in the clip, Tyra and and J- Miss J 
are kind of mocking her and saying like, oh, you don't want to fix your teeth. Um, you know, you gonna have a gap in your teeth and that's going to be a gap for the competition to come through. And so people were like, <laughs> people were saying Tyra Banks is canceled and they were demanding that she put out an apology now. And I watched that season. So this might've been like 15 years ago. Like this was not something that was even in the last 10 years, you know? So we're going back 10 plus years and now people are demanding um, Tyra Banks apologize for her behavior on her TV show from 15 years ago. Yeah, that, that's corny. And I must say that most black men in my age range are intimately familiar with America's top model. They gave <laughs> us the likes of uh, some of the most beautiful women that we've seen, uh, mm-hmm. like Eva Pick, uh, Pickford. And Eva Marcel, my, yeah. Oh, she was married now, yes. And one of my favorites, uh, Takara. God bless Takara, her. Um, Yaya DaCosta, oh, yeah. who's, who's a, an actress now. Okay. Yeah, but I'm still thinking about Takara, so just give me a second. Uh, gosh. Yes. So at some point, you have to just, there has to be context. I think uh, this is another teachable moment where we just say that was what was appropriate then, or that's what the the sensitivity levels were then, and you can't apply this the this hypersensitive uh, view that we have right now today to to think to things that took place then. Well, that and I, and and, I, mm-hmm. sorry to cut you off, um, but that and I think one person the take that I appreciated the most was like, yeah, a lot of the shit that went on on that show was very problematic, but at the end at the end of the day, it's about being a model for the fashion industry, right? Like, that too. you know what I mean? And so like, that's what people, and that's what people were saying, because I remember back when, I forget, this was like early seasons where one of the girls was, um, you know, gaining a little bit of weight and it was a topic and they were really coming at the girl. And the thing is, if you looked at the girl under normal circumstances, you would not describe this girl as thick, fat, anything but because it was a modeling competition and there were other girls there that was you know 101 pounds she looked bigger and I think like again for yeah to your point with uh context it's like it's a modeling like it's a modeling contest is basically a beauty contest right like 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 what like what were they supposed to say yeah I mean it's not as though you're aspiring to these implicit standards that you should buck against. No, it's, it's very clear standards. The standards of the day, the the, the modeling industry standards, which obviously you know they don't really align with uh, normal practicality. But this isn't a normal context. It's just this hypersensitivity. I, I I will say to to wrap this up, the Jordan documentary, the Last Dance documentary, made me appreciate what I precisely appreciated about 90s basketball about Michael Jordan it reminded me why he he was my favorite player which and is so much of it, so much of it is is because he was an asshole off the court because he had a gambling problem that became a, <laughs> a, 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 a national discussion because he punched teammates in the face you know what I'm saying because he he didn't care about anything but winning can I tell you what so, resonated with me? What's that? So I I think it was during episode three and four, whenever that came on, 
where he was talking about um, Isaiah Thomas and whatever team he was on not shaking their hands after the Bulls beat them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they handed Michael Jordan the iPad for him to see Isaiah Thomas's comments or whatever, and Mike is just like, I know there's about to be some bullshit. Whatever he, I ain't uh-huh. even got it. He's lying. Yeah. I appreciated that energy because I'm like, oh, he still hates this dude 30 years later, yeah. and I'm that that's kind of, I'm yeah. that kind of petty ass bitch. So that's why I was like, oh, because can I can I just share a funny story about keeping the same energy? Uh-huh. So now I don't. So now again, this whole Isaiah Thomas and the teammates didn't shake Jordan and them hand is what. 20 something years ago at this point, right? About 30. Right, right, at least, right, right, right. We're we're three decades later and Jordan is still like, fuck him. So yeah. I was talking, so we were talking about um, you know, forgiving and giving people second chances or whatever. And then and then I said, yo, I'm the worst with that. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, yo, I saw the girl who left my sleepover in fourth grade when I was in law school and still didn't speak to her. <laughs> yeah, 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 petty with a, with a Wendy Williams capital P. I mean, well, like she she left my sleepover in a huff, and then we stopped being friends after that because she wasn't getting the level of attention that she was used to getting because there were other people there because it was my birthday, and wow. so after that we just stopped being friends. And then I saw her when I was in law school. And she was looking very homely. And in my mind, I was like, see, if you wouldn't have left my sleepover, maybe you'd be looking better right now. No, no. All right. We're not going to let you do that. Okay. Uh, what, what, what do you get into this week? The Bitcoin happening. Since yes, we were supposed to talk about that, um, but it, it, it didn't happen yet. Nope. So, two more days. Okay. And this is something that takes place every four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I promise you guys, uh, speaking directly to the listeners, we will discuss it in more detail next week. Uh, we only shelved it because it actually didn't happen as yet. Okay. And so just Bitcoin. Uh, I myself, I will be tuning in, hopefully live, to episode seven and eight of The Last Dance documentary. I didn't realize how much life this was going to be giving me. Um, I feel whole, just reliving my 90s, and I'm anticipating it as though I didn't watch it live, you know what I mean, in the 90s. But I didn't it's watch just this so, live in the 90s, so this is uh, yeah, new to me. You wasted your childhood. I don't know what you were doing, but this is this is home right here. Uh, um, I didn't have a father you, or anyone who watched sports in my household, so. Ooh, ooh, okay, you know what? I, I guess we'll call it there. Okay. Um, yeah, no reason to dig up these old wounds. No, I'm good so, though. <laughs> okay. You guys have just tuned into another episode of the Pre Internet Friends podcast. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you were here with us. And you know what? I appreciate that. For additional content, please uh, tune into other episodes of the Pre Internet Friends podcast. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the names Mr. J. Nicholas and Nicole Shanique, and more importantly, the collective names, Printinet Friends Podcast and Printinet Friends at gmail.com. All of the inquiries that have been sent out, they will be responded. If uh, you guys are looking for advertisements, suggestions for topics, or just uh, questions that you want to have addressed or comments that you would like to leave, 
can feel free to reach us there or, or on the Instagram. Uh, Mr. Cole Shanique, is there anything you'd like to add? Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Peace and blessings.